Well, as we dive headfirst into the holiday season, having just celebrated Thanksgiving a few days ago, uh, we're going to start this brand new series called Travel Light. The idea, the idea of traveling light means that you only carry with you the essentials for the trip. And, you know, when you guys go on vacation, some of you pride yourselves on packing light. You're like a small, over-the-shoulder bag person, never a checked luggage person. You're going to fit everything you can in a carry-on, and you're going to take it with you if you're flying. You're going to take up as little trunk space as possible if you're driving, and you're going to gripe at everybody else who's taking up the rest of the trunk. Uh, some of you, though, are, are on the opposite end of the spectrum. You are chronic overpackers. You don't leave the house to go to the grocery store without eight bags for whatever reason. And your argument is that you are going to be prepared for anything that could possibly happen on the trip when you leave your house, whether it is a trip to the grocery store or a trip to see family for the holidays. You take everything, if, and everything with you because you might need something. You're going on a trip to the beach, but you packed a winter coat just in case, right? Um, you go with more pairs of pajamas than anybody would ever need in a lifetime because you don't know if you're going to like get stuck in the, the room with your, at your parents' house that's like 80, 90 degrees, or if you're going to be stuck in a hotel room that's freezing. You don't know, but you're ready for it. Either way, it goes. Um, you've got um, 15 pairs of underwear packed for your four-day trip. Why? Who knows, but you're, if it happens, you're going to find out. You're not going to be without. And, you know, there's probably some psychology to that. You know, I'm not going to get into that, but it probably means that something happened in your life and you were unprepared and you vowed to never, ever let it happen again. But it's not just okay. Uh, it's not just, you know, I'm not just talking about packing for, you know, your holiday trips. I mean, that's up to you. Take as much or as little as you desire. But as we go through just life, I mean, we live this life, we walk this world every single day, and a lot of times we're carrying stuff through life that we really weren't meant to carry, things that don't help us in any way, shape, or form, things that we would be better off letting go of. We carry bitterness from past conflicts, regret from past mistakes. We hold on to these things that get in the way of us living the most meaningful lives that we possibly can. And when you add to that the fact that many of us in the room are Christians and, and we believe that our life on earth is temporary, that our time here is limited, that this world was never meant to be the home in which we settle into, that we're just passing through, that should make a difference with how we pack, okay? Because you don't set up camp when you're going somewhere temporarily. You don't, you don't carry everything with you when you're just passing through. And that's the way we kind of need to look at life as believers. And so... We live our lives, though, with this belief that more is better. Whatever more is, more has got to be better. And so we take everything that we possibly can, when oftentimes it's easier to travel light through life. And I think the holiday season is the perfect time to talk about this, because uh, it, we just kind of instinctively focus on what's important. I mean, even when you watch, like, the, all the terrible Hallmark movies that some of you are binge-watching on just overload right now this time of year, like, they still have this message in most of them that, you know, it's not the stuff, it's not the activities, it's not the business, but it's the people that you're with, you know? You, everything about this time of year just kind of focuses us in, laser points us on the fact 
that there are some things in life that really are more important than others and that there's a better way to prioritize our life than the way most of us tend to live. And so for the next month, we're just going to kind of talk about that, of, of focusing on what's important with our lives, prioritizing what's most important, and learning to let go of the rest. Now today we're going to step on everybody's toes because we're going to talk about letting go of busyness. And I don't know who this doesn't talk to. I mean, I think that the pace at which we have chosen to live our lives in the modern world is incredibly destructive. I don't think we're going to learn how destructive it is until we're a generation or so down the road. I think it's just, I mean, nobody, no generation has lived at the speed and the hectic pace at which we have chosen to live. And I think um, where we live and when we live in the you know, most of us, we started this life in the 20th century. Some of you didn't show up till the 21st, but, but we've lived in 20th century, 21st century United States. And it's been a very prosperous place to be born and to live for good and sometimes not so good as we're going to maybe talk about a little bit. Um, and then the fact that we've lived at, on the cusp of one of the greatest technological periods of, of creativity ever in the history of the world. And when you put prosperity and technological advances together, what that has given us is opportunities, endless opportunities of things to do and fill our lives with. Um, I think it's funny, back in like the 50s, you would see these um, ads and things talking about how technology and robotics and all this stuff, it's going to change the way we work, and it's going to actually lead to us working less. You know, the Americans are going to have like a two-day work week because of technology, and yet we took all that technology and we, we, we made it where we work more. You know, we, we've taken work, and we've gone home and put it in our pockets. And so now we've got work with us on phones all the time. We're always connected. And since we're always connected and always available, even off the clock, now you've got bosses who expect you to be available even off the clock. Even though technically in your contract they don't have the, the, you know, the right to demand you to answer those calls and emails on the weekend, they still expect you to answer those calls and, week and, and emails on the weekend. Um, you have other stuff that gives us opportunity. There are more opportunities for play, for extracurriculars. Uh, and I, One thing that's a little bit of my soapbox that I always want to rail against, but I'm going to try not to, is kid stuff. There's so much stuff for kids. You know what I had when I was a kid? I, could, I had a Nintendo 64, or I had outside. I didn't have neighbors. I mean, it was like, well, I guess I'll walk around by myself and see if there's a new, like, rock in my yard I haven't seen in a while. But, like, I didn't do I mean, I didn't, just didn't have all that stuff. My dad worked in the oil field, which meant he worked every single day of the year. Christmas was spent waiting for my dad to get home so I could open presents. Torturous way to spend your holidays as a kid. My mom ran a business out of our home, so she couldn't just up and, and leave. She had customers coming and going. So, I mean, I didn't get to go to all the things and do all the things. And, and honestly, there wasn't a lot to do. Like, you could play Little League for like six or eight weeks in the summer, and then it ended. You might do sports, but they didn't have sports for little kids when I was in school. And now, man, you got every sport. You know what, what sport was never available to me? Even all the way through college or through high school, soccer. People, kids can play soccer. You can play lacrosse. I'll bet there's not five people that can tell me two rules about lacrosse, except for the Hales, <laughs> who can tell you all of them. Okay, 
But the rest, I didn't have any of that stuff, right? But we have so many opportunities so that now it's not only that we're busy as adults, we got our kids busy, and so we are everywhere. And then there used to be days that were considered off-limits to activities and kid stuff and even shopping. Not anymore. Everything's open and going all the time. We are always on the go. And I think the thing that suffers, again, we feel like we're doing a lot. We feel good about our lives because we're busy, we're accomplishing things. But I think we have to admit at some point that the thing that suffers in our busyness is our relationships, the people that we love. We come home exhausted at the end of a day, and it's easier to turn on the TV and just kind of zone out and cross your eyes than have conversations you need to have and the interactions that you know are important to your well-being and the well-being of your family, but it's just easier. You're just so tired, and that takes energy, and you just don't have anything left to give. Things like board games and other, like, Fun little activities, you know those things that used to require actual human interaction? You remember those things? Some of you are like, what's that? You know, things where you would actually look people in the eye, occasionally want to punch them in the face, you know, things like sorry, where you almost won the game only to end up getting last. Anybody ever played sorry? Yeah, that'll toughen you up right there, sorry. If you haven't haven't flipped a table because of playing the game sorry, You've never really been in a good game of sorry. That's just my opinion on that. Um, and so, but things like that are becoming an endangered species in how we live our lives. We've exchanged meaningful interaction for digital interaction because it's honestly easier and it takes less time. And so what is this busyness getting us? We got this like fake sense of accomplishment because we're doing a lot of things, but is it really giving us what we all know our lives need? Is it making our lives better? Is it bringing us joy? Is it bringing us closer together to the people that we love, the things that we know are most important? Well, I want to start here, and I want to read you a couple verses, and I'm just going to warn you, they're really depressing. And I don't want you to, like, think, oh, boy, that was depressing, and just kind of, like, glaze over that. I kind of want us to settle into the depression of it a little bit, because we're going to do something with it. Don't worry, I'm not just going to, like, read these depressing verses and then pray and get you out of here. We... But you, we need a little bit of that shock of, of, of pain, a little bit of that sting, that slap to the face a little bit to shake us out of this thing that we've just kind of accepted and invited into our lives. So here's the first verse. It's come from Psalm, Psalm 103. It says, as for man or humanity, human, it says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. I think we, this is something we can kind of understand. They compare human life to something like grass. Okay. Think of July. It's, it might feel like it's really far away, but think of July in Illinois. Like, July can start, and like, grass is just like shooting up. It's healthy. It's thick. It's thriving. Your yard is green. You never get off the mower. And then we have like two days where it's 103, heat index of 115, and your yard is brown and dead. Right? And it happens overnight. It's like, man, our yard looks so good this summer. Oh, no, it's dead. Like that, it's just so quick. And he's saying, that's what our human life is like. It's frail. It's shorter than we'd like it to be. It's here one day and gone the next. And then we get to Psalm 90, which was uh, written by Moses. Okay? And it says this. You, talking about God, you sweep them, humanity. So God, you sweep humanity away with, as with a flood. They are like a dream. You ever had a dream and you woke up and you're like, I, I think I was dreaming about something, but it's, it's already it's gone so quick you can't even really remember what it was about. He says, they are like a dream, like grass, again, grass, that is renewed in the morning. 
And so these verses, there's so many things like this in Psalms that talk about how our life is so incredibly brief. It's here for a moment, and then it's over. It's a blip on the radar. And again, that's unsettling for a lot of us. And if you're probably under 20 or maybe 25 and under, it doesn't bother you because you're like, I feel like life goes so slow. I'm going to be here forever. And, and one thing that has just always amazed me was how my perception of time has changed as I've gotten older. And when I was a kid, my birthday is in May, and Christmas is in December, obviously, right? So they're, they're pretty well spread out. It felt like I would never get to either of those. I just felt like the year was this dry walk through a desert, and Christmas and my birthday were these fun little oasis of, of refreshment, and that I would never get there. It just like, I always wanted it to be Christmas, and I always wanted it to be my birthday, and it just felt like they never arrived. Time moved so slow when I was a kid, and now I'm not even 40 yet, and it feels like every other day is Christmas. I have no idea when it switched, but it was just like one day, it was like, oh, holy moly, it's Christmas again. Like, that's why people oftentimes end up going over budget on Christmas because they're like, it's like, starts to be December 1st, and like, oh my gosh, Christmas is this month again, isn't it? I didn't even, oh, we just got done paying for Christmas. How did this happen? But it's because time, as you get older, it goes faster and faster and faster, and the older you get, the more you are confronted with this oftentimes depressing truth that life is short. 75 years sounds like an eternity when you're 10. But when you're 70, 75 is like, well, that's not that long. I, don't, I haven't been around all that time, right? And so it's a little painful to talk about this. But here's why that's good. Because when you confront this truth, it will be incredibly clarifying. Because it makes you realize that your time is incredibly valuable. People talk as if money is the most valuable thing we have. No, it is your time. You can go make more money. There's nothing you can do to invest and get more time. And so as we confront this truth that our life is here today, gone tomorrow, it's shorter than we'd like to ever let it or believe it would be, we have something that can, has the potential to grow our heart, our minds to be wiser. That's why Moses, who wrote this, he wrote these words saying, it's here today, gone tomorrow, and this is a part of a prayer. And what Moses does not do, he doesn't pray that we would have more time. That's interesting to me. He says, your life is short, but he doesn't pray for more time. Here's what he says just a few verses later in verse 12. Whoops, I skipped some. He says, so, talking to God again, so God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Meaning, teach us to actually sit back, make it a habit to say, I've got this many years left at best. To number. Like, that's not, not a lot of us, like, want to do that, right? Like, you don't want to sit there and think, oh, boy, I'm, I passed the halfway point a while back now, and I didn't even, like, I missed it. Like, I should have thrown a party or something. Like, like that's funny when you, like, how we don't, we don't want to sit there and think about the days that we have left. We don't want to look at our life like a ticking clock. But Moses says, that gives you a heart of wisdom. He prays that God would confront us with this shocking reality that our days are speeding by, that we would actively think, how many days do I have left? How many decades, how many years are left on my life's clock? Assuming all goes according to plan. Because if, if you realize how much time you have left, you're going to realize that your life, your time is too precious to be giving it away to things that don't matter to things that are anything less than the absolute best things to invest your life in. 
You know, you gotta, I, I think about this all the time, is that I've only got a, a certain number of weeks with my kids living under my care. I mean, it, it's, I mean, if you think of it that way and you put a number on it, it's several hundred, you know, but it, but it, it starts depleting really quick. Several years ago, we did something, and some of you liked it and some of you hated it, but for everyone in the, that had a, a student or a kid, so a, like high school and under, we gave people a bag with the same number of beads that they had left before their kid went off to college. And that was a shockingly small pile of beads. Even if your kid was one, it was like, this is all I got? Oh my goodness, I can't, well, this is all I got with my kids until they're gone to college? My baby, no! And you start panicking, right? And so, but if I've only got a certain number of weeks with my kids, do I really want to spend all of that pivotal time as a chauffeur? If I've only got a certain number of, of days to be a husband, do I really want to spend that working more than I have to? If I only get a certain limited number of moments with the people I love, do I really want to waste that staring at my phone? I am the most guilty person of that probably of anyone in the room, said the guy preaching from an iPad. Um, and then when you bring our faith into this, Okay, and then remember, from Christian's perspective, we think this life is temporary, and there's something better. There's a better eternity waiting out, waiting out there for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. Well, that con- confronts us with the truth. There's only a certain number of moments that we're going to run into people who still need to know about Jesus, who still need to put their trust in Jesus. And those moments, we don't know if they're going to come again, so we, we'd better see the urgency of sharing our faith. We can't waste those moments, those interactions, because when time is gone, it is gone. When your 20s are gone, they're gone. Your 50s are gone, they're gone. Your kids are only little once. Your grandkids are only little once. Time is so incredibly valuable. And so the reason we need to number our days and look at this shockingly depressing truth is because it shows you how beautiful Beautiful your moments are, and they're too good, too few, too far between to be wasted on things that we often waste our lives on. And so understanding this principle of numbering our days, the reason it leads to a heart of wisdom is because it shows you to do this. It teaches you that my time is limited, so I must limit what gets my time. My time is limited. Your time is limited. So we can't just go through life saying yes to everything. Because here's the thing. Limiting your time is up to you. Nobody is going to do that for you. Nobody's going to say no to the things for you. In fact, everybody is just going to ask you for more. Can I do this? Can you help? Can you make? Can you do? Can you give me? Can you volunteer for? Can you be a part of this? Everybody's asking you for something. The only one who can look at your life and say, these are the most important things and everything else isn't getting on the, on the map and getting on the calendar. The only one who can do that is you. And so Moses says that numbering our days leads to this beautiful bit of wisdom that shows us that not everything can get my time. Now, when you look at this principle with how most of us live our lives, doing everything and going everywhere and doing all the things, it doesn't make sense. We're wasting the life that we have, the precious gift of our time. Now, I'm guessing I don't have to convince many of you that this is true. What I have to do is convince you that this is possible. Because a lot of us have just kind of thrown our hands up in the air and said, busy, that's just life, that's just it, that, there's no way, it's a trap, it's a prison, sure, but I'm in chains and there's no, I don't have the key, I can't get out. We just kind of feel like this is our life. And so we think that there is no way to, to thin out our schedules, to do less. And as trapped as we feel, I, I do think it's possible 
But yet we say things, well, my kid has to be at every practice and every game and everything because if they don't, my, the coach is not going to play her. So what do I do? She wants to play. She's going to be upset if she can't. She's going to be upset. So I, just, I, I want her to be happy, so we're just going to go. I was listening to a guy the other day talking about how um, he couldn't travel home to see his family because his kid had basketball games on Thanksgiving and practice on either side of Thanksgiving. And the coach said if you miss any of them, you get demoted and you don't play. So they couldn't take their kid across country to see their family that they see once a year because of things like that. And again, that's perspective, and I get the idea of you made a commitment and sticking with it, but, but I, you know, there's, I, I don't know, to me there's priorities that need to be made there. Um, you know, you can make the case, well, my boss says if I don't give a little bit more than my contractually obligated 40 hours a week, then I don't get to have a job anymore. And I, I get as scary as those realities might be. I think the scarier reality is thinking about being on your deathbed and looking back on your life with regret, looking back on your life in pain because of what you did. And so your days are number, your days are short, excuse me, so number them so that you can see what's really important, what really matters, and you can have the courage to let go of the rest. And so what I want to do is I want to help us think through this by asking four questions. And these aren't like, you're not going to hear these questions and go, wow, he's so smart. They're just simple little questions that I think we need to stop take a break from the busyness, and ask ourselves to help us prioritize our life a little bit. And I'll say this, that when I'm writing my sermons and I'm sitting in my office and I come to something like this where I'm going to give you guys some level of homework, there's a part of me that's like, maybe they'll do it this time, I hope, but I know they're probably not going to do it this time. They're going to get to lunch and forget, and they're going to be like, ooh, this is good. What was Anthony's sermon even about? I understand how that happens, right? But I would encourage you, write these down, go home, Spend some time by yourself thinking about these, and once you have some answers, if you got a spouse, sit with your spouse. If you got kids, sit with your kids. Talk about what is the most important, because I think these questions can be incredibly clarifying. And again, they're not crazy. You could have come up with these yourself. Number one, what do I need to add to my life? There are a lot of things that we don't get around to. By the way, you guys are writing it down. That really does. That warms my heart. But what do we... Excuse me, getting choked up. Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you need to add to your life? Because there's a lot of things that, honestly, you think, one day I might get around to doing that. That'd be nice to have in my life. But, I, you know, we're just so busy right now, just not in this season. You know how many of us w- have been saying that we're going to exercise for decades? And we've been through numerous busy seasons. And let's come, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get those washboard abs like I had in high school. Yeah. It just ain't happening, right? A lot of us, we know we need to take better care of our health. We know it's important. We know that that might be the only thing that might actually give us a little more time, but yet we just can't seem to find the time to do it. So maybe that's something you need to add to your life. One thing I think a lot of people need to add to their life are intentional moments to invest in their marriage. You know I, mean? I don't know what it is, but you're like, well, we're married. I got a ring, so let's just go. And you don't forget that maybe there's like a little bit of like a, a living nature to a marriage where you got to water it and nourish it and take care of it so that it can actually grow and thrive and be something meaningful. But you get caught in the busyness of just life that you forget to invest in that thing that is making so much of your life special, which is your marriage. Maybe something you need to add to your life as a Christian is investing into the faith of your kids. A lot of, a lot of people, a lot of parents say, well, we're too busy to do that. That's why we bring him to church on Sunday, so you can do it. I'll be honest, we got some great volunteers back in the kids' area, but they're never going to have the opportunity to invest in the faith of your kids like you would. 
And you can try doing that, but there's, a, there's generations of people whose kids are walking away from faith, because, and they're like, what happened? I took them to church every Sunday. But they did nothing to invest in faith at home, and church wasn't enough. Nobody's going to have the opportunity to invest in your kid's faith like you will. So what do you need to add to your life? You probably guess where the next question's going. What do I need to subtract from my life? And I think this should be the biggest category. If you're going to sit down and think through it and write things that really honestly could go, what do you need to subtract from your life? And this is also where it gets the hardest because, again, the reason we're so busy is because we think everything's important. And so once you start to prioritize and say, this is first, this is second, this is third, then you can start to say, well, this feels important, but it's not top three, so I'm not going to do it anymore. And so you got to ask questions like, well, my kid being in eight different sports and extracurriculars at the same time, will that really benefit them 20 years from now? Or will me and them rearranging our lives together so that we can actually spend quality time together as a family, will that affect their life 20 years from now? Sometimes you need to subtract things for a temporary season. Just, again, there are things that are seasonal, like we believe the exercise is. I'll get to it eventually. But there are some things, literally, that you can say, for this season, it's just not going to be something that is in our lives. Um, Sandra Stanley, that's Andy Stanley's wife, if you know who that is, um, she said that when her kids were little and in elementary school, she just realized, I don't have time for all the close friends like I did. She's like, I had friends that left over from high school. I had some friends from college. I had friends from work. I had friends from church. And I just couldn't find the time to spend with all of these friends and still be the mom that I knew that I needed to be. And when I prioritized the roles that I had in life, mom was before friends. And so I just knew I had to spend way less time with my friends. Again, for a season. That was a, a temporary subtraction. And again, it sounds drastic, but I think drastic is what a lot of us need. Next question. What do I need more of in my life? You got some things that are good in your life. They're already good. You already do them every now and then, but you know, this is a blessing and I need more of it in my life. Maybe it's date nights with your spouse. You, you are investing in your marriage a little bit. Maybe it's, you know, a couple times a year you find someone to gently pass your kids along to so that you can get away without kids and, again, invest in your marriage. Maybe it's time reading the Bible and praying. Maybe it's something you don't do very often. You mean to do it every day. It just doesn't happen. That's something you would like to do more often. Maybe it's investing in your church family, being a part of a family, a community of faith. What do you need more of in your life? And finally, what do you need less of in your life? What do I need less of in my life? Things you're not going to completely get rid of, but if you're honest, they're just... They can't take up everything. They, there are certain things that if you let them, they will be all-consuming. Probably the big one is work. You, work, is, work is one of those things that if you really like what you do and care about what you do, enjoy what you do, or if you have a very, very passionate boss who wants to you know, encourage you to work every second of every day, work can really overtake your life, and, and you might say, well, if I don't give everything I got to my, my job like I do now, then I'm just not going to have a job, and I, under, I understand how scary that could be, and I'm not saying quit your job. Please don't call me tomorrow and say, Anthony, I did it. I told my boss what's what. <laughs> now what? And I'm not saying that, okay? But, but here, again, here's the thing. Is, is that what you want to look back on your, your life? I mean, when, you, when you're 80 and you look back on your life, do you want to you want to think, man, I'm so glad I left my spouse to do all the heavy lifting when my kids were little. I mean, do you, do you, is that really how you want to, to look and picture your life? I mean, and maybe the question is, maybe I don't quit my job 
on Monday because the preacher told me to, but maybe it's I start looking for something that has some more flexibility, has some more options there for us as a family. And, man, this is one of those things I take a little seriously because <laughs> I don't know I, if there's any profession. I'm sure there's professions like this, so I, I'm not going to say it's the worst at it by any means. But when I uh, went to Bible college, I was confronted with something because I didn't grow up in church and I wasn't around a bunch of preacher's kids or anything like that. But I went to Bible college, and there's a lot of preacher's kids at Bible college, and they were all incredibly bitter. They were bitter at mom and dad because they spent so much time at church. They were angry at the church because mom and dad always had time for somebody else's family but not their own. Mom and dad always had time for other people's kids but not their own. And they, they, they carried this bitterness and this resentment, again, not just towards their mom and dad but towards church, towards faith and spending time in a faith community. I don't want my kids to hate me for that. I don't want them to grow up being shaking their fist about church. I want them to grow up loving this church family and being a part of a church family and understanding the love and the value of a church community, not, not resenting it. And so that's one thing I, I, I mean, Abby and I have talked about this. It's like, if something's got to win, I, it's got to be the kids. I can't, I can't put, I can't sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. I've seen too many people make that mistake. And, and again, if the idea of, when I talk about work and cutting back, if that scares you because of the implications that might mean, again, I just want you to think, on their deathbeds, nobody wishes they would have made more money. Nobody wishes they would have made more money on their deathbed. I've, I've had the, I'll call it a privilege, to spend time with people who were in the last days of their life, and they knew they were in the last days of their life, and I've never heard a single person say, I'm so sad I'm never going to get out of this hospital. I really wanted to gaze at my granite countertops one more time. They're so pretty and so smooth. I just hoped that I could sit in the leather seats, of leather heated seats in my car one more time. That's such a nice car. I love it so much. Man, I wish I was going to live long enough to see the next big revolution in cell phone technology. You don't hear people talk like that. Nobody says, why didn't I spend more time filling out paperwork? Oh, how I love paperwork. Nobody says that. There's a lady named Bronnie Ware. Bronnie Ware is her name. And she was a hospice nurse, and she um, spent the bulk of her career with people in those last days of life. Again, those, and, and knew, they knew they were in the last days of life. And at some point in her career, she started asking people, what would you do differently? What do you regret? And she said there were recurring themes. But one of the, the top four recurring themes was, I wish I didn't work so hard. And she, here's what she says. Here's her words. This regret came from every male patient that I nursed. Not some, not most, every single male hospice patient she had wished they wouldn't have worked so hard. She says they missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. She said women also spoke of this regret, but as most of them were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. But she said all of the men I nursed deeply regretted so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. And so I think there's times in life where we need to stop and evaluate and prioritize and look at our lives and say, what is most important? And what is stealing us away from what's most important? And I think it's time we learned to travel light, at least lighter when it comes to our schedules. I think we are living at a damaging pace and our time is limited and we need to limit what gets our time we need to make the difficult decisions to create some room in our lives to allow us to invest energy and time into those things that are best. 
whether that is our family, whether it is our faith, whether it is the faith of our children so that they can spend eternity with us and with Jesus in heaven forever. But I don't want to get to 90 and realize I made the wrong choice, and I know that you don't either. Life is better when you travel light. It is not easy, but I promise you it is possible. And you will be glad that you made the decision to live that way. You will be far more grateful for the things that you said no to and far more present for the things that you were able to say yes to. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, who loves us so deeply and so richly, that you give us wisdom like this, written thousands of years ago, so that we can see it, hear it, internalize it, believe it, and let it shape our hearts and our lives. Heavenly Father, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.